0: You just haven't acquired a taste for his teaching Nor will I ever.
1: I This is a this is a Mark Brown problem, not a Kevin Gregg problem. Oh boy,
0: Andrew. It's like I had a professor who would always say, if an art critic wants to say something bad about the Mona Lisa, it says more about the critic than it says about the Mona Lisa. Now, I guess that's me with Kevin Gregg. Wait,
1: in this scenario with the Mona Lisa, or are you the art critic or are you the professor?
0: I am Kevin Gregg. Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial Baltimore Orioles fan podcast from CamdenChat.com. I'm your host, Mark Brown. I'm Eat More SK on Camden Chat. It's September the 9th, 2012, in the evening as we are recording this, and the Orioles have just taken half of a four-game series from the New York Yankees, preserving the status quo from our last podcast, where they are one game behind in the American League East. I'm once again joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Andrew Gibson. Andrew, it really wasn't the same without you last week, so I'm glad you're, <laughs> I'm glad you're back.
1: I actually liked it a lot better without me.
0: Well, Andrew, you got to stop being so hard on yourself.
1: Well, all I know is I'm glad Stacy's not here now, because somebody still uh, needs his job here.
0: Yeah, well, so do you have any, any good minor league stories from the end of the minor league season for us, or is it um, all dried up?
1: Uh, the minor league season did end. Uh, the last game I went to was an Empire State Yankees home game in Allentown against the Iron Pigs, which is a little odd. But uh, the deal with them is uh, their home stadium in Scranton is undergoing renovations, so they had to barnstorm all year. So I felt pretty bad for them and was actually just rooting for the Yankees that night. Andrew,
0: but, what are you um, doing?
1: They were gonna. They were. Their magic number to clinch was one, ah. and I kind of wanted to see a minor league team celebrate clinching a division.
0: Yeah. I guess and, I guess by the time they're all in AAA, they can mostly actually drink champagne.
1: And there's no prospects on that team. It was like Kosuke Fukudome was playing. Ah. Some some guy named Mike O'Connor was pitching. You know, I, I realized
0: was, Kosuke Fukudome was in the Yankees. Uh,
1: uh, he got released. Ah. So, you know, I mean, they lost, and blah, but... That was it. The season ended. Yeah, right. The Yankees actually just got eliminated by the Paul Tuckett Red Sox in the playoffs. So
0: Boston gets some revenge after all. Yeah. Through their AAA. I That's did
1: it. not get to see any uh, Bay Sox games this year, which I kind of wanted to, especially with uh, Dylan Bundy and now Kevin Gaussman's up there. Yeah. Do you know what they did tonight? Cause uh, they were in an elimination game.
0: I, d- I don't. Because
1: or that might be tomorrow
0: night. I'm I not sure. Uh, I didn't look. Unfortunately, see, we're we're bad podcasters. Occasionally, we're not prepared for everything. Well, let's see here. Apparently, the game is ongoing as we're recording, but uh, Akron is winning five to two in the ninth.
1: Well, nuts.
0: So you know, last
1: time Bowie was in the playoffs, Akron
0: eliminated them. Yeah, because Travis Hafner was uh, rehabbing, and he like hit. A ton of home runs. I that was recall. a really
1: good Bay Sox team too. It was unfortunate the way that ended oh, up. Oh
0: well. So that's anyway. That's enough about the minor leagues because we've got we've got Orioles to talk about. Heck yeah. There's, uh, there's wild card contending Heck Orioles. Heck yeah. And AL East contending. AL East contending Orioles. One game back. One game ahead of the Rays and the Angels. It's getting pretty tight up in here. Any which way you look, it's tight. And the big news for the Orioles uh, coming out of the weekend, other than splitting the games, of course, was losing Nick Marcakis to the broken thumb or whatever it is. And he's going to get surgery on Tuesday. And they're talking about, well, they're hoping to get him back in three weeks if they're still playing. And one, how cool is it that there's, well, maybe they'll still be playing in like four weeks. Uh, And two, it's going to be pretty hard for them to get to be still playing in four weeks without Markekis. Because seriously, ouch.
1: You know what I thought when I heard uh, that they had hoped to shave three weeks off of this recovery time? Yeah. Nick Markekis. That sounds awfully familiar.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It it happened, uh, you know, when he had the broken hammer
1: And he did not come back early from
0: that. So obviously this is a different injury, but... Feels I don't, like don't want to mess
1: with the broken thong.
0: No. Feels like so. the same optimism, and maybe there won't be any Nick Marcakis. And who knows? But I think the stat on Masson and today, Andrew, was that Nick Marcakis had a 390 on base percentage since he had been leading mm-hmm. off. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone else who had led off for the Orioles this year for him combined for something like a 240.
1: Yeah, but that's what happens when you bet Andy Chavez leadoff because he's fast or or whatever the reason is.
0: Cuz he's an outfielder who was fast at one time in his career.
1: Boy. Um yeah, when when came back for whatever reason, he turned into that that coveted 300 400 500 player that we all kind of wanted him to be. Where uh he owned base 390. He hit Three thirty-five, I think. Yeah,
0: it was a high, good average.
1: And he he slugged almost five hundred as the leadoff hitter. Yep, <laughs> which is silly because like you put him leadoff because his power isn't what you wanted it to be, and then you put him leadoff and it's like, well, now you're hitting with so much power, maybe you should be the two hitter.
0: So it was, a, it was an interesting conundrum, but um, I mean, you can't no, say I mean, anything other than that the Orioles are a weaker team without Nick Markakis.
1: Um. You, that's true, but uh, it looks like the replacement for him is going to be some kind of platoon between... And, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I was on vacation this weekend, so I didn't, I didn't read all of the nuances of the news. But it, it looks to me like it's going to be a platoon of Wilson Bettamy versus right-handed pitching and Lou Ford versus left-handed pitching.
0: Well, Nate McLeod was the, left, uh, was the leadoff hitter. Today
1: sure, but but Nick McCloskey's been playing every day. Yeah, he's he's not replacing Markakis, right? And he's been playing really well, so he might as well be hitting leadoff. Yeah, as as weird and unreliable a thing to say as that is,
0: it is. You're right.
1: But uh, so so Nick was OPSing. Let's see, a little under 900 as a leadoff batter since um he came back early July. Um, and you you can't replace that, but Wilson Badamey versus right-handed pitching this year, OPSing 866. Lou Ford versus left-handed pitching this year, OPSing 913.
0: Whew. Of course, that's a pretty that's- small sample size for Lou, right?
1: Sure, of course. Um, but, I mean, that's it. You can replace Nick Marquinkis' production with those two guys at the plate. And I don't want to be the bearer of Bad news, but Nick Marcakis is not a defensive asset for the Orioles. So replacing him with Chris Davis defensively is a a downgrade, but not as much of a downgrade as you might think it is. If
0: you remember Nick Marcakis' defensive ability from three years ago and you still think he's playing like that, then you'd think, oh, that's a downgrade. But
1: he's not
0: playing out there like he used to.
1: I think it was his second or his third year. Um, part, of, part of the things we do at work is we um, grade outfield arms. We give it a, a run-save number. And while a lot of the batted ball data, you can point out issues with it, sure, uh, the, the arm scores are a lot less subjective. where They're relying on things like base runner kills, mm-hmm and outfield assists, and um, keeping base runners from advancing, that sort of thing. Those are uh, discrete events. And Nick Markakis had one of the best years anybody will have in his second or third season, and that sort of developed the legend of Nick Markakis's arm. And no other year has he justified that, that reputation he has with his arm.
0: That's all about that first impression.
1: And it's not just if you're thinking, oh, well, you know, he, he got a bunch of guys out and then nobody ran on him. Because if nobody runs on you, you get points in this run saved for for people not running for holding base runners from yeah. advancing first to third or second to home. So, you know, his arm is not as good as the reputation. His range is... You know, I've I've sort of been paying a lot more attention to him specifically. And you see a lot of balls where he just looks out of position. And maybe that goes on the pitcher, and maybe that goes on the coaching, and maybe it goes on him. And a lot of balls where he just looks sluggish getting to him. Well, I it's mean,
0: not... if you see him on the base paths now, he's he looks sluggish. So
1: It's never been a fast
0: guy. No, but I mean... Even considering he was never a fast guy, sometimes he just looks, like, slow. Like, you see a grounder, like, the fielder drops, and then they throw to first, and you're like, how did he not beat that out? Maybe because he wasn't running. I don't know.
1: So, I don't know off the top of my head what his UZR is for the year or for the last three years, as the rule of thumb goes, I don't know what his uh, defensive run-save number is, which is the more advanced defensive metric that uh, Baseball Info Solutions puts out. But I know it's not good, and if you disagree with that number, that's fine, but you can't disagree with it and say he's a top 20 outfielder.
0: So, just, so just for the sake of curiosity, is DRS in 2010 was minus 11, and that just runs, right? Yes. Positive 2 in 2011, and negative 9 this year. So negative 18 over the last three years for DRS. Right. And then his UZR uh, 2010 was negative 5.5. Last year was negative 5 and this year is -7.8. So now
1: it's worth pointing out and hopefully I'll have some time to to write a little bit for the site this week about this stuff. The UZR number and the DRS number on Fangraphs comes from the same batted ball data. It's just a different formula that's calculating the the actual score. Mm-hmm. There. So um if you have a issue with that batted ball data you have an issue with both of those
0: such as for instance that thing that john Shepard did that we talked about way long ago on the podcast about maybe camden yards has some kind of funkiness going on sure okay
1: um and that is kind of the crux of what i want to uh write about if i get the chance no no promises but i really do want to write about
0: this stuff well, Andrew, you've successfully convinced me that Nick Markakis' loss may not be as crucial as I was thinking last night, so I'm uh, I'm actually less despairing than I was when I started this podcast tonight. That may be a new record, because I usually get more depressed as the podcast goes along and well, you but, know, uh, you've the, turned me around here.
1: One of the things Sabermetrics has really taught us, and taught us well, is that one player is not as big a difference maker as... We want to believe they are. Unless he's
0: Mike Trout.
1: Like Mike Trout, who's 10 wins above replacement. Or, uh, you know, other MVP caliber players.
0: The middle middle of the pack is more fungible than we, uh, we realize.
1: For a month, less than a month, even Mike Trout down to Wilson Bettamy, that's at... Worst two two wins. Yeah, twenty two
0: games left for the Orioles. So
1: worst case scenario over over this period of time. And even that's not realistic. So it hurts the Orioles, but it it this is not the death blow. It just isn't.
0: So Andrew and I wanted to talk a little bit about umpiring because obviously the Saturday night victory for the Orioles ended on a controversial play.
1: Speaking of death blows. Namely,
0: that there was a ground into a double play to end the game where the tying run would have scored if Mark Teixeira was called safe at first base, which he was when he slid into first base. But umpire Jerry Meals called him out. Of course, umpire Jerry Meals is the same guy who infamously blew the call that ended the game uh, on a play at the plate in that 19-inning Pirates Braves marathon from last year. So
1: the game that broke the Pirates.
0: The game that yeah, the game that kind of broke the Pirates, as we heard from, from Charlie back when. And uh, so you know, obviously there's a little issue there with Jerry Meals maybe just uh, doesn't see very well, or I don't know, I don't know what what how to describe how that happens. Uh, Andrew, you and I would probably be very bad umpires if we just dropped ourselves into a baseball would- diamond in the gear.
1: Jerry Meals would
0: be a huge, huge upgrade. Uh, and I time. dare say, uh, I really would probably have a panic attack just at the thought of trying to call a strike zone standing behind home plate. God. I mean, maybe I could sort of handle. I have a panic attack first, just second, like, third base. You know, just just handling the the, the calls of the normal routine. <laughs> There's zero percent chance I could ever call a strike zone. No way. Oh.
1: Would you even want to stand, like, be the second base
0: umpire? No, I would die. I would get hit by a batted ball, man. Your only job is to not die. I'm not even sure I could manage that. (laughs) If somebody would, like, run into me because I didn't get out of the way enough or something, I'd get trampled. So, okay, so umpiring is uh, unfortunate sometimes when there are mistakes. And mostly, Andrew, that's because video replay could just easily remedy it. And if you spent your Sunday watching football games, because the NFL started up, you see an instance where, more or less seamlessly, video replay can be used to make sure plays are correct in a game. Uh, In fact, in the NFL now, they automatically review every scoring play just to make sure. I mean, that's an extra commercial break. It adds a little bit of time, but not as much time as it would have taken for the manager to come out and yell to umpires for a little while, and if he's really, really mad, he'll you know, kick some dirt over a base or on somebody's shoes or he's Bobby Mm -hmm. Valentine, he'll like spit out his gum and point it at the umpire's face or whatever. I mean, get it in there. It's not, it wouldn't be hard to just have either like a central league office that does all the replays or have a fifth umpire in every crew who's like, Mm -hmm. up in a broadcasting booth with a TV and he can just say on the radio, hey guys, you missed that one? It wouldn't be very hard. But, they don't want to do it. Because Bud Selig apparently doesn't care.
1: Well, it hasn't got any letters. Yeah, he
0: nobody in the game is interested in it, apparently, he said um, at the All-Star Break.
1: Yeah, so one, that's obviously not true. And and two, the Commissioner's Office, which is based in New York, uh which, you know, uh insert joke here. Um, it has installed new systems in place at Citi Field and Yankee Stadium III for replay. Like um, They compared it to what tennis uses.
0: Because what did they add? They added fair foul calls with those and one other thing that I'm not remembering right now. Trap um, calls, maybe?
1: Yes, it, it's trap calls and fair foul calls.
0: And this is like a
1: sonar-based system. I don't know why we need to get that complicated with this, but there, there it is. It is not in production the last month of the season and probably into the postseason for one of those New York teams. I'm not going to tell you which one. Try to guess. You will be pleasantly surprised. Um, uh, They are—it's—it's a trial run. So replay is getting expanded. It's a losing battle to fight against it. at least in terms of everything that's not strikes and balls. Everything else is going to get replay. It's just a matter of when. Um, But in the meantime, stuff like this is freaking embarrassing.
0: It really is. And, I mean, obviously it was great that the Orioles benefited from one, just if you're an Orioles fan. But, I mean, it's not good for baseball that that happens because the players of the game deserve to have whatever benefit if they get it, if they do something good and they deserve to have the situation be positive for them if they did that thing and any blown call means that the player is not being rewarded when they've done a good job playing baseball right so you've you know you're you're literally hurting any baseball game that that happens in and i mean that could be something as simple as an umpire calls a ball on a, you know a pitch in the strike zone on, like, a full count that should have ended an inning on a strikeout and instead it, like, walks in a run. Or it could be, like, whatever that play was in Colorado where the first baseman was, like, a foot off the base.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Or, Boy. or you know, Mark Kachera sliding into first base and the ball was the, not there before him and he was out and the game was over.
1: The play that got Mark Reynolds ejected.
0: Yeah, with or his toe he, on the bag, obviously, on replay.
1: Very similar to what Mark Teixeira's comments were, which maybe that's not a parallel we should be
0: drawing. No. Well, their first <laughs> name is Mark. And my, my first name is also Mark, so... First name, Mark. There's a lot There's a lot of Team Mark going around there on, on replay. The, comments, I guess.
1: You know, some people ask, like, is it just we're better at finding these things? There's more emphasis on them? Like, the umpires are in the spotlight? Who cares? Like, it's embarrassing that there's this many plays getting called wrong that matter, that happen every single day. Every day there's, like, a bad call that matters that just – it happens. And and nothing ever seems to – come about that says, like, maybe you guys should stop getting so many serious calls wrong.
0: Because every game is being streamed potentially to the whole world, unless you live in one of the blackout zones, which is a whole separate other stupid thing about baseball. And any person who watches any one of those games can get on Twitter immediately with, like, a screenshot, and suddenly it's a thing. And that's what happens. That's what's going to happen. So they gotta, if they don't want to be embarrassed constantly... They need to implement reforms that will be able to correct as many of those things as possible. I mean, I'm not a full-on robot umpire's person. Sure, like, neither am I. Get the technology to let the human guys out there call the right baseball game. Make whatever happened be the result. Not just, you know, some kind of crazy thing happen because the umpire got dust in their eye or who the heck knows. Just, Just get it right. It's not. It wouldn't be hard if they put their minds to it. And I guess eventually they will, but they haven't yet, and it's frustrating in the meantime. So we were going to talk about Pedro Strip. We'll have to squeeze him in uh, later in the podcast. But right now we're going to take a short break here on CamdenCast. We'll be back after this short little message. That's all for now. You're listening to Camden Cast, the Baltimore Orioles fan podcast with Mark Brown and Andrew Gibson. If you'd like to hear from us between episodes, you can follow us on Twitter. Andrew is at GibsonAndrew, and I am at EatMoreSK, E S S K A Y, just like the hot dogs. And now back to the show. And just like that, we are back. Andrew, do you know what time it is?
1: I bet it's not time to talk about Pedro's stroke yet.
0: It's certainly not because it's actually time for you've got mail. The latest installment of the Camden Cast mailbag. We did get some great questions this week. I am I'm always glad to see great questions. Unfortunately, we we aren't going to have time to get to all of the great questions that were asked. But be sure to look. On Thursday or Friday for the next edition of the Camden Cast comment box thread on camdenchat.com. More likely Friday, uh, since there is an afternoon game on Thursday, after all. And you can post questions for us or topics to suggest for us. And if we like your question or topic, we will give you credit for it. And then we will start discussing it on the next podcast, which actually Andrew, Andrew will not be on the next podcast. But uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get a mailbag in there somehow.
1: I am trying very hard.
0: Andrew to get will hard. be having his own West Coast uh, trip on the next podcast. Yep. So he will not yep. be in in any shape to do that, but I will soldier on without him somehow. And, Andrew, the first question we're going to tackle this week comes from, I hope I'm parsing this name out right, S. Wilhelm Ross, who basically asked, as far as the playoffs are concerned, who do we, that is the Orioles, want to avoid in playing in a playoff series if the Orioles make it that far. So, Andrew, who scares you the most out of the American mm-hmm. League? Well, uh, if, if, probably, if the Orioles get there.
1: So, uh, definitely Texas is, is easily the scariest team because they're the best team in the American League, and they've really beaten the tar out of Baltimore when they've gone head-to-head this year.
0: Not to be forgotten is that the people who... uh occasionally try to offer the defense on the whole run differential issue about saying, well, if you take out Texas and the Angels, the Orioles have a positive run differential.
1: Because neither of those two teams. Well,
0: yeah, so Texas, you know, Texas is in the playoffs. They haven't clinched, but they will because they're really good. They have really good Um, offense, really good pitching.
1: Yeah. In general, I really... And scared of the coin flip game for the Baltimore Orioles. And for any team, because it's a freaking coin flip game. Um, there's really... I was actually thinking about this. If the Orioles win the division and avoid the whole coin flip game, they will probably get uh, Chicago or Detroit in the first round of the playoffs. The, the ALDS, best of five. But if they get to the coin flip game... Somehow win that? Not some. They just win it, sure. Um, they know how to win baseball games. They will probably get Texas yeah. in the first round.
0: Texas has like five game lead on the best record in the AL.
1: Right. So, um, you know, if they if they win the division, they might miss Texas. If they don't win the division, there's no way that they aren't going to have to specifically go through Texas. Yeah. So, that I mean, there's your impetus for, for winning the division.
0: Yeah, winning the division matters, so you don't have to play Texas in a five-game series.
1: Uh, I mean, really, anything can happen in any of these series. So, it's silly to to get all like, well, they, they can't beat Texas, because they totally can. Just like, you know, Tampa Bay can sweep Baltimore really easily in a five-game set, or, or any number of other things. So... You know, Minnesota could beat Baltimore in a, in a seven-game series. It's been known to – stuff like that's been known to happen. Houston just beat Cincinnati over the weekend, two games to one. You know.
0: No longer with fewer wins than Jim Johnson has saves the Houston Astros. <laughs> they got that I mean, Kevin Goldstein boost to the uh, morale or something. Yeah. One of, our, one of Andrew and I's favorite internet baseball writers was hired into the Houston Astros front office
1: that That's really, really cool. Just really cool. It is. Um, boy, kudos right. to him. And I'm also glad that he's no longer podcasting because I think that makes us the best baseball podcast.
0: Yeah, we moved up a rank with that up in it uh, <laughs> right. to compete against. Right. So, yay us, I guess. Or something. Because they were like the number one all of baseball podcasts on iTunes or something like that. I don't know where we are. I don't know where we rank, but I'm pretty sure it's not number two. But yeah, well, not anymore. yeah, we're we're up one, whatever it is. But yeah, avoid the Rangers, man. I don't want to see them anymore. They 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 kicked the crap out of the Orioles. Right. It's 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 a little ridiculous. I mean, any of these teams, there's something to fear. Like it, oddly, I fear the Yankees less than ever after having seen the last couple of series against them because. There's just, like, nobody on their pitching that just seems like, well, they're guaranteed to, Mm -hmm. you know, step up for a big game and shut you down. Like, if you want to talk about, well, the Angels, you know, you're going to get Jared Weaver, although I think I saw he had some kind of shoulder thing. They don't even
1: need Jared
0: Weaver. No, I mean, they got Heron, they got Wilson. They got Granky. They got Granky. So, you know, that's pretty that's a pretty fearsome short series or one game team to play.
1: Tampa Bay, Matt Moore, David Price, James Shields. I mean, what if you
0: get one game against the Tigers, Justin Verlander? You know, he's going to he's going to be throwing 100 miles an hour in the 8th inning of a one game playoff pretty much.
1: Doug Fister. I mean, there's so many good pitchers that I mean, that's why it's
0: playoffs, man. So, I mean, you know, you could you could fear any one of these teams, but who knows? Maybe they're looking at the Orioles like they don't want to play this team that's just winning these games. It just feels like that just there's that extra thing that's just happening to them, and it's maybe felt like that ever since the Chris Davis getting the win in relief game. Just felt like it kicked off this this whole crazy win thing that's just happened repeatedly. Not every game, but a number of games. So many more games than I'm used to them winning in that fashion because. Usually they're on the wrong end of those gut punchers.
1: Well, you know, uh, they say three things get played up during the playoffs. Your defense, Oof. which uh, the, the the Orioles don't have a great defense, but they really tightened it up.
0: With, lately. After Manny Machado got called up and Mark Reynolds moved over to first.
1: And Mark Reynolds looks really comfortable over there. Yeah, He's, he's an interesting case because his range is just it's it's not there. You, you can't you can't make up a reality where he has a lot of range. Um he even had a play today There's a uh, ground ball right down the line that went into the outfield and he just he can't make that type of play. Um but he can do everything else really good. Yeah. He he's really good at, at scooping balls in the dirt and up and away, and, and saving bad throws, and, and keeping his foot on the base and laying out. He's, he's got a really good heads up. If anything's within his falling down range, he can make the play on it.
0: I mean, one of those games over the weekend, he actually made this flying catch that exactly. looked like he was a soccer goalie laying out for a penalty kick, man. Um, like, he had some leap on that thing.
1: Uh, putting him at a position where his arm doesn't matter at all really helps. Right. It doesn't cure everything, but it really helps. And he just—he looks comfortable. He's hitting. He's—he's he's playing really good defense in—in in a way. And he's—he found a home. That's really cool. Uh,
0: good for him. I mean, it just goes to show you—you you never know what's going to happen if you move a guy into a situation where he's more confident. It's like. You know, I mean, it's easy to scoff at this kind of mental stuff, but, I mean, baseball no, is I, mental, you know.
1: This stuff totally matters. Uh, we were just talking, uh, not to get off of my track about the three things that get played up in the playoffs, but we were just talking during our station break. This weekend, this weekend was exhausting. It was exhausting for me as a baseball fan. I assume it was exhausting for you.
0: Oh, it was, It was exhausting. It'd be weird if it wasn't. Every inning intense. Well, not every inning, because after they were down a bunch today. But many innings, most innings were very intense.
1: It it was a draining day. Yeah, it's a really good thing they have tomorrow off. Because just taking a day. It was an emotional series.
0: Although Baltimore sports fans don't have Monday off, because we'll be watching the Ravens on Monday Night Football.
1: Uh, Unless you are a uh, Redskins fan. There are
0: some of them out there. So uh I'm sorry for you.
1: Jones who's a Colts fan. Yeah. But you know a lot of us will be watching the Ravens. Um but you know it, it's it's good to sort of take a day and just recharge the batteries because like it, it's draining. It's been a draining season. It's it's September. They just had the biggest series in Camden Yards maybe
0: ever. I mean, Andrew, if that Thursday game isn't like, you know, they've had the Camden Yards 20 games, I mean, that's probably game number two now. Maybe th- number three. Because number one is still going to be, if they do like a 25 or something.
1: I, it's always going
0: to be. Number guy. one is always 21-31. Number two is probably uh, the 97 ALCS where Mike Mussina squared off against Randy Johnson. Mm-hmm. Maybe number three now is going to be that Thursday. this Thursday's game. I mean, oh, it, it's just an instant classic.
1: Um, but how they bounce back this week, because they got three with Tampa, they got three with Oakland, and they got a long plane ride in between. Um, and then how they bounce back after that, because they got a long plane ride to Seattle, they got a long plane ride to Boston. Right, and they, they can't got...
0: just sleep on the non-contenders.
1: Right, and they're one game up
0: one game you know, up over two different teams.
1: They have a bad week, they're out of the out of the leaderboard here. Look on the outside looking in on on teams that unfortunately are, are probably better than them.
0: So what are the other two things by the way before we get to
1: So Sorry. um so, we talked about defense. Uh, the, the bullpen, the back end of the bullpen, becomes really important in these short series.
0: Which, of course, looks shakier for the Orioles with Pedro Strope going through. I don't, uh, I don't know so if he's going it, so through. So, it is time to talk about Pedro Strope. Yes. I guess it is.
1: Well, what about him?
0: I don't know what it is about him, but he's had three straight bad games against the Yankees.
1: Do you think uh, it's the Yankees? Maybe that's just a bad matchup.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I want to go in and say, well, it's Yankee Mystique is getting him or something, but it's like... There's no way it's Yankee Mystique. Clearly he was, you know... I mean, I feel like after the first one, Buck wanted him to get his confidence back and then was trying to keep sticking with him and show him that he was confident, but Pedro did not exactly repay that trust that had been replaced in him. I don't know what it is. I mean, I guess the problem is Pedro Strope is just, well, there's a reason why the Orioles got Pedro Strope from Mike Gonzalez, and that's because he did this in Texas, and that's why they didn't want to have room for him anymore.
1: It's hard to survive as a uh, bullpenner when you're walking a fifth of the batters that you see, and uh, on the season, he hasn't been quite that bad, but he walks a lot of guys. Um, I I took out intentional walks. He has one, and I added hit-by-pitches because they're kind of in the same vein. And he has put on just over 14% of the batters he's seen for free. Um, On the season, and then over this this bad stretch, it's it's ballooned up past 20%, past 21% even. But uh, a big part of me wants to say... The Yankees, they're a patient team. They, they The scouting report on Pedro's scope is he's got really good stuff. that moves a lot. He can't command it. So just if you wait him out, he can probably get himself into trouble. I mean, that's that's got to be the scouting report because that's pretty much what happened. That's what the Yankees did to
0: him. Right. When he or- decides to start throwing sliders because he feels like he can't command his fastball and then he. You know, those are just out of the zone and they won't chase them because the Yankees are patient. Then um, you could just hear, like, I, Mike Bordick on one of the games he did on Masson this year, he was just, like, pained remembering the 1997 <laughs> ALCS. Because he was just like, Aren't we if all? If you can throw a 100 miles an hour fastball, just stop throwing the sliders. <laughs> it's like. I I joked about this. It was like Pedro Strop was just like realizing his manifest destiny as the next Armando Benitez or something, and really just the differences instead of blowing the key playoff games. It was the regular season games, but I mean that's uh, that's it's the parallels were always there, really.
1: The other thing, he his last six games is when he's really not been very good. But the other thing here, uh, he's a 500 backup. Over that stretch, that's way higher than what he's done the rest of the season. Yeah,
0: he's he had some bad luck hits of the ones that were given up, but you know, after you watch him walk back to back guys in like sure, I, you know, he games was in a row, you, you know, your 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 sympathy level is lowered.
1: But he he is actually uh, one of the the most premier ground ball pitchers. It's a sinker slider pitcher, kind of the classic. Matchup a lot of Oreo pitchers are sinker slider pitchers actually, but, uh,
0: which is sinker, an intentional choice. I'm pretty sure.
1: I would imagine, yeah. His sinker really is is a quality pitch when he can control it. So, you know, I I think it's just it's part of playing baseball. You have a bad stretch.
0: Two thirds of the time he gets the ground ball when the ball's in play. Sixty six point yeah, so nine percent. That's pretty good.
1: Sure. Um. So the third thing, uh, unless unless you got
0: that was two things. It's time for the third thing.
1: The third thing, um, what we talked about the bullpen, the defense, and your top three, top two starters. Um, depth rotation depth doesn't matter at all. Um, when the Yankees uh, in 2009. We're going up against, uh, I guess, the Angels in the ALCS. The Angels had a lot more rotational depth than the Yankees, but the Yankees had CC Sabathia. Right,
0: you can pitch your number one and two guys, and maybe you need a third guy, maybe a fourth guy, but five guys doesn't matter.
1: So you, your top guys play up a lot more. And I actually think you know, the Orioles don't have a Justin Verlander, a Chris Sale, a David Price, or a, a CC Sabathia. The Orioles
0: out. have a Jason Hamill.
1: They Jason Hamill, quality pitcher. Wei-Yin Chen, quality pitcher.
0: Hopefully he's not tired.
1: And, um, you know, they can find a third. Probably
0: uh, Miguel Gonzalez after the most recent stretch of games.
1: Uh, Zach Britton also had outside of today, obviously. but he He's looked really good in, in some of his recent games. Chris Tillman, if he's healthy. If you really need the the veteranness, Joe Saunders is there, yeah, you know, there's a lot of options, and their their top two are are good pitchers that can win any baseball game they go into. They have a good chance of winning, so yeah you know, if the Orioles are destined to get into the playoffs, I think they can stand head to toe with anybody
0: in these short series. Yeah, Even, I mean, you think about it. If you think about a one-game playoff, Jared Weaver versus Jason Hamill, you're like, oh, man, but it's one game. Jared Weaver could have not a perfect night, and Jason I mean, Hamill could have, you know, he could he could amp himself up and pitch the best game of his career.
1: I mean, we saw Chris Tillman just completely outpitch Chris Sale. It happens, man. Um, you know, these guys aren't scrubs. You aren't going to see any scrubs playing in the playoffs pitching
0: in the playoffs,
1: anyway. Yeah. Do we have another question?
0: We do have another question. But uh, I think we'll actually take our second break before we get to our other question, because it's about time to do that. And then we'll come back, and we'll answer another question, and then we'll move on to the week ahead. We've talked about it a good bit already, but we have a bit more detailed breakdown of the the playoff contenders. Uh, So we'll get into all that on the far side of our second break. You're listening to Camden Cast. We will be right back. You're listening to Camden Cast, the Baltimore Orioles fan podcast with Mark Brown and Andrew Gibson. If you want to hear more from us between episodes, you should also make sure to check out the website, camdenchat.com, where you'll find discussion on all the latest Orioles happenings and sometimes just random whatever is going on. Check out our Facebook page and give us a like. It's Facebook.com slash And you can subscribe to this podcast if you search for us on iTunes with Camden Cast. And now, back to the show. And we're back once again. And we're just going to jump right back into the Camden Cast comment box because we... Andrew we had a lot to say about that last question yeah. it was a very good question it's a, it's Well, good I we have that that question. Much to say about it yeah so we we have another question and this one comes from Dave Tucker who also uh, posts on the SB Nation blog for the Maryland Terrapins Testudo Times uh, so if you're a fan of them you should check that out and his question was well he had several questions but he was wondering mostly can the Orioles average 30,000 fans again and Andrew You and I both know that the topic of attendance at Camden Yards has been uh, much ballyhooed in the local contingent of Mm -hmm. mainstream Orioles writers, all of whom never have to pay to park or attend (laughs) a game at park at Camden Yards, Uh, all of whom can get a pretty solid catered meal for $10 in the press cafeteria every time they go to the stadium. And, uh, and free nachos and popcorn and sodas and soft pretzels and hot dogs one hour after the scheduled first pitch of the game. I
1: could, I could go for a hot dog yeah.
0: right now. Uh, so, you know, that's, uh, that's a pretty easy thing for all those guys to criticize. But it, it's fair to wonder – it has been fair to wonder why the crowds weren't coming back uh, immediately. But that's probably because they were 14 years of losing. And well, that takes time.
1: Yeah, this is a complicated question. Very much. If you, get, if you just say it's the losing and leave it at that, you're barely scratching the
0: surface. Right, because there's a whole whole separate issue of the D.C. Northern Virginia that used to just be Orioles territory, and now there's another baseball team there, and you, know, you can call that bandwagon thing if you want, and certainly I think there are some Nats bandwagoners down there, but... A lot of people, you know, just feel like they were driven off by decisions by the Orioles' ownership. Or it's just freaking hard for them to get to a baseball game. Because if you want to come up from Northern Virginia on a weeknight for a 7.05 mm. game, it's not happening. I mean, you know, you got to take a half day of work. It's not like you can I'm, leave when your work day ends and get up here for first pitch.
1: I've done it, but I had to leave. I had to sneak out of work
0: early. But, you're, you know, you're not going to do it three times. And a I'm a weirdo,
1: so... I did that, I, I left on the spur of the moment from, I worked in Falls Church, uh, in, in, um, Tyson's Corner, uh, for a year, and the day Josh Bell made his Major League debut, mm-hmm. I, and our fearless Bowser, uh, Stacy Stacy Long, decided just to, let's do it, let's go to Camden Yards.
0: Josh Bell, man.
1: Yeah, why not? um.
0: So we were. The, so you were there for his first.
1: I was there, and I. I mean, I had to sneak out of work really and leave right from work. It was. It wasn't cool. It was. It was difficult. That's not an easy thing to do. You're right about that.
0: So I mean, that's that's a lot of people who are just watching on TV or they're kind of gravitating towards the Nats because it's easier for them to get there, and that's something you can't fail to consider. And of course, on top of that. Even just considering the Baltimore portion of the fans, I wrote a couple articles on Camden Chat about why I feel like there are challenges just because it's a tough economy, and if you want to go say with your family to an Orioles game, you're probably looking at a minimum outlay of a hundred dollars every time you want to do that if you're you know if your family is you and a spouse and two children, so you know. If your kid wants to bring friends, or you have more than two kids, even, it's just, it's even more than that, and concessions are expensive, and all this stuff. And I mean, the Orioles, if they want to overcome these assorted challenges, I mean, the DC stuff, that's uh, pretty much gone. And uh, I think Peter Angelos knew that, and that's why he negotiated the hard line on the Masson deal that he did, so that he would always get portions of the uh, Nationals mm-hmm. TV money. But if the Orioles want to bring some of those fans back, they just need to give them some financial incentive to come out, make cheaper tickets. And coincidentally, Andrew, a few weeks after I wrote the article suggesting some discount ticket ideas that they could do for every given series or any given series they wanted to do so, uh, they came out and have the promotion for the upcoming race series where the Tying it into the Camden Yards twenty thing with nineteen ninety two prices on the bleacher seats, four dollars already sold out, and the lower reserve seats for eight dollars. So that's pretty pretty good idea. But they're gonna have to do that for more than uh more than one three game series to really drive up the attendance all the time. So what's it gonna look like next year? I don't know. I imagine oh. there will be more season tickets sold just 'cause if you buy
1: season tickets now, you get playoff. Tickets.
0: Right, you get a, you get access on the first wave of playoff tickets. So that's a <laughs> that's a pretty good incentive.
1: They know what they're doing with that incentive.
0: Because Andrew, I, I, it seems like this year that the floor is you, ten thousand fans. Like it is very very hard for the Orioles to have less than ten thousand fans attend a baseball game, or have ten thousand paid uh, tickets anyway. I, sure. I don't. Don't want to promise there was actually 10,000 bodies in the stadium, even counting all the staff and players and such. Um, So, you know, so I think that what they can try to hope for is they raise that floor to maybe 15,000 with the season tickets, which I don't know if that will happen. And then in my mind, I hope they try and raise the floor with walk-up sales to maybe a 20,000. And I don't know if that's reasonable either, but i if they keep winning over several years, I would like to see you know if maybe the worst game you go to is twenty thousand paid, and that's you know that's your Tuesday in April against the Royals when it's kind of rainy. actually, twenty thousand might be optimistic for that twenty thousand in the summer against the Royals, maybe even even on a Tuesday, it's probably still still um, on. and then you know on the weekends, then they can hope for thirty thousand, and if it's New York, Boston, you know. For a sellout. I think they can aim for that. I hope. That would that would be good to see. I don't think that comes out to thirty thousand to answer Dave's Hucker's question, but maybe it comes out to I don't know, twenty-seven thousand or twenty-eight thousand. And that combined with money from Masson hopefully can sustain the Orioles having a little bit more competitive payroll.
1: Now here's what I can say, and I'll just leave this brief because I'm really out of my element here. Um 30,000 fans per game, uh, the Orioles have surpassed that average as recently as 2005. They did it in 2005, 2004, 2003, 2002, 2001, and every other year going back to 1988. Um, last year's average, and this is all courtesy of the website Baseball Almanac, which, you know, it just comes up when I Google Attendance oh,
0: see, I way. always look on baseballreference.com for that one. That's a hyphen um, between baseball and reference. That's one of my favorite baseball sites, uh, by the way, if you did,
1: not I always forget that hyphen. Um,
0: so 2005 was the first year the Nationals existed, and probably not a coincidence that uh, the Orioles attendance has been on a downswing.
1: Well, yeah, but the Orioles have also... And really bad. Right, they didn't, even, been, they
0: didn't even fake contention at the beginning of right. the year. Right, and they've been in a rebuilding right.
1: phase. To just say, oh, the Nats came, and then the O's couldn't draw this many is too simplistic. It's way too simplistic. The Nats are part of it, but the rebuilding and things like that weird, awkward video Andy McPhail shot, you remember that? Uh, Where I was like playing with a pen and being like well i'm i'm sorry that it's like this, but i i I promise we're working on it
0: i don 't remember that video
1: Wait, like, it was weird, it was uncomfortable, it was awkward that that that's not helping that can't be helping
0: so Dan Duquette at least has never had anything that awkward. imagine that
1: um so there's a lot of things here, and yes, absolutely i one hundred percent believe the Orioles can average thirty thousand per year. I don't know if they're going to do it next year.
0: Right. If they sustain success, people will be drawn back in. And I think I think the Orioles need to do things to kind of give a little nudge to those people to bring them back in. Whether that's more frequent giveaways, that are more interesting giveaways. Statue giveaways are extremely popular all this year. You know you can't just have a few token T-shirt Tuesdays and say, well, you know, we got giveaways. We're giving away lots of stuff. They're giving it away, Andrew. Give it away, give it away now. No, they're not giving away that much. Before this year, just there were not a lot of interesting Orioles giveaways. People like bobbleheads, I guess, but then they kept having bobblehead nights for people who were in the minor leagues. Boy,
1: yeah, it's stuff like that. You know, there's a lot. That, I mean, I'll just keep coming back to this. There's a lot of things. A lot here. of things.
0: And, you know, they got to work on all of it. So hopefully, they're, hopefully there are smart minds in the Orioles' ticket there office. There absolutely are. Absolutely. If, if any <laughs> of them are listening and they would things. like to hire me, seriously, just, you know, check me out. Because I'll give you lots of great ideas, too. And I'll make them happen. I'm awesome. i will have to
1: run this podcast myself.
0: Yeah. Yes. I'm sorry, Andrew. Yeah. I'm trying to make that dollar, you know. <laughs> So that's enough out of that. That was all of our comment box. Thank you to S. Wilhelm Ross and Dave Tucker for great questions. And everybody uh, And everybody who asked something. Because seriously You guys agree. We we would like to get to more. We uh we maybe need to do a better job of talking less about each question and getting to more questions. But you know, we, we like getting into detail. That's part of the fun for us. It's having long drawn out philosophical ruminations about these things. Hopefully yeah. that's something you like about them too. So next coming up for the Orioles is a series against the Tampa Bay Rays and immediately after that, a series against the Oakland Athletics. So the next 6 games are against teams the Orioles are immediately right now competing with.
1: It's a, a test.
0: So it's it, is, a big test it is the latest test. The latest test.
1: The latest in a series of increasingly important
0: tests. Yes. Cuz Andrew, I got to be honest. I did not expect they would continue to pass the tests well enough to keep facing wow. more tests.
1: Nobody did. If if you did, you're you're lying to yourself.
0: Or your Dan O'Hare.
1: He's lying to himself, for example.
0: And so the the, the rays coming up uh and we, we had to dig a bit to find out the matchups because they were wrong in the first place we looked. Coming up on Tuesday is going to be Jason Hamill versus Matt Moore. And Matt Moore having a pretty good year for the rays there. He's got a 366 ERA. He's striking out nearly a batter per nine innings. He's What did you say, Andrew? He's done 310 ERA since June or was that Cobb? Uh,
1: he had a really bad game on May the 6th against Oakland. He gave up eight runs. Um, his game score? If uh, do we know about the That game score? Have we talked about that before? Yeah, I don't
0: remember if we have. But why don't you give it a little five
1: uh Basically, it's a it's a base 100 scale that just ranks how well your game was. Um, it uses a lot of inputs like uh, innings pitched, strikeouts, walks, runs, hits. Um, it, it's good. It's um, a really handy one number thing that's better than wins or or even like ERA for a single game. Just to see how good was your game, and you can do lots of fun things with it. Um, one of the things uh, Bill James came up with was the idea of a cheap win, where you get a win and your game score was under 50. So you didn't have a good game, you still got a win. Uh, so that that might be a nice little uh, uh, rule of thumb for you. On May the 6th, Matt Moore's game score was 19. That's terrible. Um, that is pretty much as bad as it gets
0: for him... Yeah, you want to see somebody in the 60 or 70 to feel like they had a good game. And then if you get above that, you're starting to talk about, you know, excellent right. um, games.
1: I, I don't have it in front of me, but Kerry Wood's 20 strikeout game, that I believe is the highest recorded uh, game score.
0: All right. So there's there's a little reference for you.
1: Anyway, he has a 310 ERA since that game. Doesn't count that game, but that's, um, that's since beginning of May. 310. He's he's really good. Uh, over twice as many Ks as walks. Doesn't give up a lot of home runs. Um, more strikeouts than hits allowed. Tough matchup.
0: Tough. So And that's his first full year in the major leagues as a 23-year-old. In fact, he turned 23 during the course of this season, so he was 22 when it started. And that's Matt Moore. Taking on Jason Hamill on Tuesday. So the Orioles will have to battle a tough lefty, and otherwise they will uh, immediately find themselves in a tie with the Rays for the second wild card spot, possibly also with the Angels if the Angels win on Tuesday and the Orioles lose and the Rays win. So, you know, it's tight. It's a tight, tight matchup. They, it's it's very important over the next week, and uh, we'll see a lot more of that. So the Wednesday matchup is going to be Miguel Gonzalez for the Orioles versus Alex Cobb of the Rays. Cobb is not quite as excellent as Moore this year, although he's still a guy, uh, the Orioles would like to have around. <laughs> anyway, it's his first, uh, first real full year. He threw 52 innings last year. I, maybe that takes him out of rookie of the year consideration. Not that any other the person than Mike Trout is going to be rookie of the year anyway, so it doesn't matter. But, uh, this is his first real full year in the big leagues. He's got a 428 ERA through 113 innings, 113 and two-thirds innings this year.
1: He had a really good August. Um, he had one absolute clunker of a game. His his game score on August the 18th at Los Angeles was 3. So, so that's that might be as bad as you're going to see.
0: I um, I don't think I've ever seen any single digits when I looked before.
1: But outside of that, you look at seven innings, four times in a row. He threw a complete game against Oakland. His last game out was against New York. He threw seven innings, two runs. Um, so, you know, he's, he's on a little roll himself.
0: So just a little bit, a little more note. Here's your number one game score thrown this year. Matt Cain's perfect game is 101. There you go. And uh, that was because he went nine innings and struck out fourteen. No walks, obviously. No hits. Felix Hernandez is number two. Perfect game. Ninety nine points. Oh man, that was uh, a good game. He struck out only twelve, so I guess a strikeout is one point, maybe?
1: Uh that does sound right.
0: Yeah. And so you so you lose points every time you give up a hit or or runs and such uh and you lose points for walks. So like tied for third, we got R.A. Dickey with a ninety six for a one hitter with two walks with thirteen strikeouts. Matt Cain ninety six for a one hitter with eleven strikeouts. And Philip Humber's perfect game with only nine strikeouts is a ninety six. So there's there's your there's your great games. And then most games are I'd say in the fifty to seventy range. If they're bad they're in the thirty to less range. I don't know where I was going with that. I just I just had that awesome oh. game score knowledge I had to drop. Matt Moore. No, we were talking about Alex Cobb actually. Yes. Yes. It's, since since it's, that really bad game score.
1: It's pretty funny um, how the Braves just seem to have this endless stream of pitchers who are like Alex Cobb is like as bad as any pitcher they bring up gets, and he's like a pretty respectable dude to have around. Right. You know, it's David Price. And they got Jeremy Hellickson, who's pitching the last game of the series. And behind him, they got Alex Cobb. Behind him, they got Matt Moore. Behind him, they got Chris Archer, who just had a really good game against
0: Texas this week. Endless stream of Tampa Bay pitchers.
1: Right. It never ends. It never ends. It's crazy.
0: Which is how they had their ridiculous streak of however many starts by pitchers under 30. Yeah. So yeah. that got broken this year by what? Neiman was it? Something? Sorry. I, th- I think that it ended right. this year, and it it had been for just a long time, like well, five I mean, years or more.
1: This is why the Rays. Um, they've won six of eight. They're a game behind Baltimore. They're what two games behind New York? This is their whole deal. They pitch really, really well.
0: There's some extra two percent in there for you right there. Right.
1: And uh, they have a a weird, crazy knack for turning junk ball relievers – not junk ball relievers, but just scrap heap guys into Fernando Rodney with an ERA under one.
0: We're signing Carlos Pena off the scrap heap because nobody else wanted to give him a major league deal even at the minimum.
1: Yeah. Watch Kevin Gregg end up on Tampa Bay next year. Closing games, ERA around two. Watch it
0: happen. <sighs> don't even don't even don't even go there, Andrew.
1: They're like we talk about Oriole magic? Those those guys are straight up sorcerers.
0: Yeah. Rays I mean, you know, I it's amazing how they keep right. doing it, but they do. So um So Helixon on Thursday and we don't know who's starting for the Orioles yet. It's the dreaded T B A. Andrew and I were trying to moot some names ourselves. Uh, it looks like they want to skip Wei and Chen a little bit to give him some extra rest, which probably a good probably idea. Wise. Yeah, because yeah. he's looked a little ragged in his last couple where he went on regular rest, and he is near that uh, innings amount that he pitched last year, what his body's just kind of used to him pitching from coming over from the Nippon Professional Baseball League. So, you know, got yeah. to make some adjustments for that, right. and that's okay. That's why you have a guy like uh, Steve Johnson on the roster. That's that's our number one guess. We th- we think it will or should be Steve Johnson. It should be
1: absolutely.
0: Steve Johnson has just earned the chance to get to make a couple starts when they need him. And you know they keep having him in long relief in these garbage games, and it's like, man, why are you using Steve Johnson in this game? He could be your emergency starter, but instead he had to be your your mop up guy. So Steve Steve Johnson maybe, and of course you gotta love Steve Johnson just because of the. Connection to Dave Johnson and the 1989 Why Not Orioles, and these are some very similar feeling Orioles. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. With with the difference that really, they didn't come out of the depths of quite as bad of the night as the 1988 season was last year, but there have been some bad times, and this year they're crawling out, and it's pretty cool. So uh, of course that that team came up just short in the last series of the year. Hopefully the Orioles of this year can find a way to get that extra bit over the hump into the. It's at be least the one-game playoff. It's, it's really – we can't stress this enough. It's so freaking close right now. It's ridiculous. It is really ridiculous because the yeah. Orioles are one game ahead of both the Rays and the Angels. The Angels have won nine of their last ten games to get to that point because it looked like maybe they were going to fade out a little bit. You got Detroit is four and a half games back of the wild card, although they're only two games back of the Central. So they could pass Chicago, and then suddenly Chicago would be kind of on the periphery, or maybe they won't pass Chicago, and then that'll be kind of crazy because the team with Justin Verlander and Miguel Cabrera and Prince Fielder might not make the playoffs at all. You know, it's
1: weird. The playoffs this year. I mean, Texas is almost certainly going to make it, but the Yankees might not make it. The Red Sox are not going to make it. The Angels might not make it. The Tigers might not make it. How weird is that?
0: It's all amazing. And because if you look at the the strength of the schedule for all the remaining teams, you got the Rays are playing 13 of their last 22 games against these playoff contenders because they got six against the Orioles, they got four against the White Sox. They got three against the Yankees. Mm-hmm. The Yankees have the easiest, go figure, although <laughs> it looked harder at the beginning of the year when you thought 6th versus Boston was going to be a tough matchup. But as far as contenders, they're only playing three against Tampa Bay and three against Oakland. Six of their final 22 games. And all of those are Tampa. at home. And all those are at home. Yeah. The athletics, on the other hand, are kind totally. of... Uh, or Unfortunate, because pretty much everybody that's a contender, except for the Rays, is playing the Athletics. So, accordingly, they have 20 of the 23 games yeah. left for Oakland are against teams that are within uh, within two games of a playoff spot.
1: Including road series of Texas, New York, Los Angeles, and Detroit. Yeah,
0: they got seven against Texas.
1: Boy, that's that's tough and they just lost one of their best pitchers in brandon mccarthy um, i'm
0: glad he's okay, yeah.
1: okay. I, I don't know if you saw that video but
0: i could do not Andrew, go I did, see I that I video see it. i read what happened and i was like i do not want to see video
1: so, i saw it do not go see it it is it is legitimately upsetting
0: no, i wouldn't want to see it
1: um but he is okay he had brain surgery all of this is legitimately upsetting um but he, he's okay, he's just not going to pitch this year, um, obviously. Um, so that it hurts, they have easily the, the hardest schedule remaining. The A's are actually kind of similar to the, to the O's in that they came out of nowhere, they played really, really hot in the second half of the season, and they're still here, and you keep waiting for them to run up against the wall, but...
0: They haven't yet, but this, yeah, this maybe the wall coming. Like the wall could be coming finally. Yeah. So then you look at the Angels, who are also chasing the Athletics, because if the Athletics tumble at all, suddenly they're on the on the bubble. They're only is that a game and a half ahead of the Orioles. It looks like not yes. not a big not a big margin at all. The Angels have four versus Oakland, six versus Texas, three versus Chicago White Sox. So that's thirteen out of their last twenty-two against contenders. Uh, you want to talk the Tigers? They got four versus the White Sox, three versus Oakland, seven of their last 23 versus the contenders. And then by comparison, the Orioles yeah. have six versus the Rays, three versus Oakland, nine out of their 22 versus contenders.
1: Well, this week could be telling.
0: Right, because um, the next six games are contenders. But right. then the, the – the, uh, Right. Up until the last series after that is Seattle, Boston, Toronto, which is non So,
1: Meanwhile, everybody else, the Yankees are playing Boston, so who cares about that? But the A's are playing the Angels, and the Tigers are playing the White Sox. And both of those are four-game sets. Obviously, Baltimore's got got Tampa Bay. Um, so, you know, this could be the, the week that sort of separates the chat from the week a little bit. Right,
0: the Yankees can get get fat and the other teams are all going to be sticking the shiv in one another pretty much.
1: So, the the Angels have won six in a row. They seem to finally be clicking with all of that talent they have. Um, So, hopefully, uh, hopefully Baltimore can keep it up. I mean, that's pretty much where it is, they just need to keep winning games.
0: So, Andrew, if you had to pick right now, who do you think the yeah. two wild card teams are going to be? Um,
1: do you really want me to do? Uh, you
0: know, I'll do it if you will.
1: I will. Just, I'm going to feel bad when
0: I do it. I know. Neither of us are going to pick the Orioles here, are we, Andrew? No, I'm not. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not either. I'm sorry to you as well. It just, it just <laughs> look.
1: You know, I, I told you before we started, this weekend, this was an emotionally draining weekend with the Yankees. I, I did not watch all of the, of the games. I was on vacation. I listened to what I could on the radio. I saw the end of last night's game. I watched Thursday's game. It was awesome. But, like, when I, like, looked up the score and it was 13-3 to 3 today, like, it didn't bother me. Because everything's been so great. Like... I have no complaints, no complaints at all. The, the Orioles could end the season 85 wins. Oh my gosh,
0: that's so good. I mean, it'll feel disappointing for a while, but it, it compared, really, to, to, compared to predicting, you know, thinking, God, is it going to be a 100-loss season if everything goes wrong, and maybe if everything goes right, it'll be 72 wins, and, you know, 85 will be great. This, get that Get that losing season monkey off the back.
1: You know, we, we can stop talking about that. Um we've talked a lot of times about how you don't just jump from sixty seven wins to ninety wins, usually. You know, there's not that usually that, that one season where it all clicks and then from then on forward you're just really good.
0: You gotta have a resting waypoint.
1: This is the the starting block basically
0: right now this, this is maybe hopefully the new floor of decent teams every year right. hopefully
1: it, it gives them a lot of options moving forward and and the way like Matt Readers has developed the way Nick Markakis has taken to the leadoff spot the way Adam Jones has turned into a real leader on the team um And and lots of other things about just the infrastructure of the team. It it really sets them
0: up nicely. I I cannot be
1: disappointed about what happens over this this last month. It'll feel like they're going to make the playoffs, but that doesn't bother me.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like, Andrew, we're about to both be boring and say Ray's Angels make the wild card spots. I'm not going to do it. I won't say I will be boring and say Ray's Angels is what it feels like.
1: I'm going to say Angels Tigers.
0: Yeah, that's a good one, too.
1: Because the Tigers have such a ridiculously easy schedule.
0: Seven out of 23. Right. Yeah. It's all
1: Kansas City, Minnesota, Cleveland. A lot of it's at home.
0: Six games yeah. against the Twins, seven games against the Royals for the Tigers there. So.
1: I am rooting for it to be uh, Yankees A's. Like, or, or, With the Orioles gonna, winning the division we'll, we'll and then
0: raise maybe it. raise A's as your wildcard teams. I mean. That would be the best if that somehow happened.
1: Um but, you know, it has been it's been awesome. No no regrets here.
0: Um I mean heck, there will be games you'll at if they're, they're like a far. game short and may think, man, I wish they'd won. But they were never supposed to be this far. Ever this year. Right. The fact that we're here contemplating it, you don't lose perspective of just how freaking cool that is. I guess is our final message there. Andrew and I are talking to a couple of guys tonight, and it's actually about time to wrap it up. Andrew, if you want to squeeze in your final thought of the evening, I remember you had something uh, you wanted to this say. This is
1: a self-plug, so uh, maybe you just want to shut this off early.
0: Oh, but, go for it. Go for it.
1: Uh, so maybe you've noticed I haven't been writing for the site as much over the past couple weeks, and if you haven't, maybe you should. Um, the reason is uh, I've been working diligently on the – Bill James Handbook, 2013, that is going to come out November the 1st, I believe is the publication date, and there's lots of new cool stuff that's going to come in it, and I'm kind of uh, running the show a little bit at work, putting this together, getting ready for uh, for that production. and um,
0: So is your name actually going to be in the book somewhere this time?
1: Uh, probably not, uh. but... Uh, so if that's the sort of thing that interests you, you can pre-order it off, I think, actasports.com. Um, or uh, we will put out an iPad version, not a Kindle version for technical reasons. But that will come a little bit later on in the off-season. And in the meantime, uh, a lot of the work that i put towards this has gone to John DeWan writes a stat of the week every week that you can just Google uh, John DeWan's stat of the week. And the past two weeks have been things that have directly come out of stuff I've done, like career base running. Who's the best career base runner uh, of active players? I was going to
0: say, it's probably Ricky Henderson, right?
1: Uh, yeah, but he doesn't count. Right. Um, and before that, we did uh, team bullpens. Who's Who's got the best bullpens? Yeah, it, it's simple stuff like that, but some of these are new sections, and some of these are little tweaks to sections. That um, if you didn't know about the stat of the week, sometimes it's really cool, and uh, you should check it out. So there you go.
0: Well, there you go. So Andrew is doing important, awesome things, and you can read about them soon-ish. I don't really have a final thought. I've I've had lots of thoughts tonight, so I will I will forego a final final thought because I probably said my final thought sometime in the last uh, hour worth of talking anyway. So don't hold it against me this time. So I will be Andrewless next time. I don't really know what will happen next time, but it should be something interesting. I will figure something out. And for tonight, that is about all. I would like to extend thanks once again to Eric. I might say his last name wrong. Eric Menzi, who is AKA Orioles Optimist on CamdenChat.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at MarketShot. And Andrew and I both agree he's really helped us out with the sound uh, that we can he's, put. He's, in, awesome. he's That we can put into the show to make it feel like we're, you know more legitimate because we were already cool but now we're even more cool because Eric's given us a hand so thank you once again Eric and uh, for tonight that is about all Andrew it's been real
1: yes it has
0: next time we talk next time we talk it could be after the doom has sounded for the Orioles but we'll still be happy
1: it could be right when the doom for everybody else
0: is is ramping up yeah so we'll we'll still be happy with whatever happens and uh, there'll still be some stuff to enjoy the rest of the year even if they fall out of the playoff race so We'll all enjoy it while it lasts. So, for Andrew Gibson, I am Mark Brown. We're bringing you Camden Cast. This is Birdland, and we are out.